Morning, everybody. We'll be uh, reading from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you'd like to bow your heads, I would like to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now and uh, we ask, Lord, that your hand be upon this time of, of studying your word and that you will allow uh, your word to speak to us as we read it, Lord. And I ask that you lift up, we lift up um, uh, Jackie's message to you, Lord, and we, allow that your, we ask that your words be, uh, your words, Lord be permeated in our hearts, that you will enter our hearts, Lord, and our minds, and that you will give us understanding of your word, and that you will just speak to us, Lord. Allow our lives to reflect you in your name. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you with all joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both of my chains and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace." For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Well, we get to start a new book. I'm sure some people are excited. I think we were in Luke for two and a half years or something like that. <laughs> so we're starting the book of Philippians. And as we begin this journey, one of the things you want to just um, kind of keep in the forefront of your mind is Paul's writing this book, Ephesians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. He's writing from prison. Uh, granted, it's not the the prison he'll be in in First and Second Timothy as he's coming to the end of his days, but still locked up. His uh, freedom has been taken away, yet he's going to write an epistle, a letter to the Philippians um, describing how we can have joy, how we're able to express joy. And I think we don't want to miss any of the things that he lays out for us. We, we don't want to... A lot of times we'll come to an epistle and we see the greeting, right? And we say, okay, let's get down. Where, where's the meat at? Well, if we go too soon, we, we will have missed the meat. He begins right out of the gate telling us two things that are needed if we're going to experience joy. These are important things. In fact, if some of you who were here when I did the book of Romans, <clears throat> you know I parked on one of them for a whole message. So I went all the way to verse 11 this time and not just didn't do one word. 
So we're, we're hopefully doing a little better. The two things that are needed are this, a submissive attitude toward Jesus and a servant's heart toward others. And he tells us that in the first two verses. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ who are at, uh, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The submissive attitude toward Jesus starts with the word servants uh, in the ESV, uh, slaves in New King James Version. The word is doulos in the Greek. And doulos in the Greek is, <clears throat> the, the exact word is slave. Slave it, it was a, has a very negative connotation for their day. And so he begins with this idea, he's describing what submission to God looks like. What does it look like to be submitted to God? Well, Paul says, I'm a slave. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. Wasn't that long ago, Bob Dylan had a, a, an a experience with Jesus Christ. And he wrote a song <clears throat> called, uh, You Have to Serve Somebody. And the idea in the song was nobody's really free. We're just slaves to different things. Well, you're a slave to your job, or you're a slave to your bills, or you're a slave to your family, or you're a slave to food, or you're a slave to pleasure. It doesn't make... You pick it. You tell me what it is. I mean, you're the one who knows better than anybody else. But the Scripture would lay out for us that what God is looking for from us is an attitude of submission toward Him, meaning that I'm choosing to say I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. Slave to Him. I choose to bow the knee. Now, when we study a word, sometimes, you know, I know maybe, maybe a lot of us have a strong concordance and we can look things up and those are all good things. But sometimes the best way to define a word is to find its antonym. You guys know what that is? It's opposite. Right? The op- what's the opposite of doulos? The opposite of doulos is curios. Curios is the word Lord. So the opposite of Lord is doulos. And it's an important concept for us to get. Because if I want to experience joy, it's going to start with me being submitted to Jesus Christ. Meaning I bowed the knee to Him. I'm not the Lord. He is. It's, it's the world, the universe, contrary to popular belief, does not revolve around me. Depending on the day you ask Kathy, she'll be happy to tell you that I think sometimes the world revolves around me. <coughs> but in reality, the world revolves around Jesus Christ. And having a submitted attitude toward Him. Now there's three other places, just so we can kind of nail down the idea, three other places that that Paul uses this same term in describing his relationship to Christ. Romans 1.1, 1, 1, a few years ago we looked at, it says, Paul, a servant, a doulos of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So the first thing Paul says is, first, I'm submitted to Christ. First, before I have any authority anywhere else, I bow the knee to the Lord. He's the Lord. And I am his servant, his slave. Titus 1.1 says, Paul, a doulos of God, a servant of God, 
and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Again, he starts with everything that I'm doing begins with submission to God. I'm submitted to Him. And if we want to understand what that looks like, what does that mean? Galatians 1.10, he describes it. In Galatians 1.10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please man? Anybody ever try to please man? Yeah, how's that work out? Man, you can't please. You, you, you've heard the saying, you can't please everybody, haven't you? I'm not sure you can please most. You might please some. <coughs> the question is, am I still trying to please man? He says, if I am trying to please man, listen to the phrase, I'm not a slave of God. Who are you trying to please? It's not about pleasing men. Now that's different than caring about them. We're going to talk about that in a second. It's not about that. It's about who are you trying to please. When you live your life, you make your choices. You think about whether I'm going right or left in any given situation. Is it to honor the Lord? Is it about Him? Because that's what Paul is challenging us with. You want to find joy. This is where it has to start. Submitted to God. His, I am His servant. But then he also has an attitude of, of uh, servanthood in the heart of the way you feel about or think about others. Well, if you look at it, you'll see it. He says, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the, what's the word? Saints. Saints. When he, when he calls all people saints, is that how you see people? Do you understand that when someone has a relationship with Christ, it's a position, not a practice? Because some people are good at it and some people aren't. But the Bible doesn't distinguish. The Bible calls them saints. And if I can think of someone's position in Christ, then it enables me to have the heart I need to have. I need to have a heart of submission to God, but I also want to have a heart of service toward others. I want to see people like Jesus sees them, don't you? Don't you want to see with His eyes? I wish I could put on His eyes. Well, it's a long time ago. (coughs) There was a song... Well, how's it go? You guys all know what I'm trying to say. No? Kathy's gone, so she's not going to speak from the back, so we're all in trouble. Uh, anyways, the, the whole purpose of the song was to have my father's eyes. I want to see like he sees. Now, that's a double-edged sword, right? I want to see sin like he sees sin, and I want to see uh, people like he sees people. I want to see the individual like he sees them. And part of that is being able to acknowledge a person where they're at in their position to Christ. 1 Corinthians 1-2, listen, he says it like this. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. What's a saint? To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, it describes our salvation in three terms. Justified, sanctified, glorified. 
That we're justified by Jesus Christ. That means that's our declaration. That we have been declared righteous. Doesn't mean you became righteous. Okay? Becoming righteous is the next word. Sanctification. That we have been sanctified. So God is making us holy. That's what this life is all about, right? One journey at a time. One step at a time. Moving toward the Lord. Being sanctified. Set apart. God is is uh, working and moving in our lives. He says in of Corinth in his opening phrases to the church at Corinth that he has a lot of problems with. But before he deals with any of the problems, he says, "Look, you guys are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints." The sooner we get over the idea that we're a bunch of perfect people running around, the better off we're going to be. Now, our lack of perfection is not justification for sin. But part of caring about our brother is being willing to have that conversation. Because you care enough about him. Not because you're offended by how it makes you look. Or how it may reflect poorly on you. But simply because you care about your brother or sister who is a saint sanctified by Jesus Christ. And because we care about that, then we we want to come alongside and give words of encouragement. Don't we have to get better at that? That's an important thing to gain. I, I It's one of the things I have always loved about my wife. I always call her Pollyanna because she... <coughs> I, I'm, the, I'm the lead around her ankle to hold her on the ground. Otherwise, she'd be floating around everywhere how great everything is all the time. She always, she's always able, but there's, there's a real strength to that, right? When we are caring about one another, do we care? Do we see one another as saints? And when we see them as saints, do we recognize that we have a relationship with each other? That word with is kind of an important word. If you look at the text, look what he says. He says, to to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, what's the next word? With the overseers and deacons, elders and deacons, bishops, and it's all the same term. It doesn't say under elders and deacons, it doesn't say over elders and deacons, it says with. Because we're all in this together, aren't we? Aren't we all trying to move in the same direction at the same time? Look, one of the greatest blessings I ever had uh, as a coach was watching people on a football team playing different positions, all working together for a common goal. You want to know the difference between a championship team and something else? is a championship team is all focused, united together, going in one direction. Now we can see that, we can experience that corporately here at Calvary Chapel Buell, as we all get together and we all work together for one common goal. We can also experience that as a body of Christ. But not if we're all going in different directions. Not if we're all answering to a different Lord, But if we're all submitted to the same Lord, then there's one Lord over all, right? And if there's one Lord over all, then He's the authority. And it stops being about who's got top billing on the billboard. 
right? Or what church is named or isn't named. But it simply becomes about Jesus Christ. So as as he's talking about this this attitude of service toward one another, we see the way people are, that we are saints, and that we are working together, right? We have a relationship with others. It also recognizes the need in our life of grace and peace, right? That's how he always ends his greeting. Grace and peace to you. And a lot of times people talk about that being the Greek greeting and the Hebrew greeting, but it's interesting, in the manuscript that's not in Hebrew, he just says grace and peace. Why? Because if you want peace, what do you got to have first? You don't understand grace, you're not ever going to have peace. You can't go around some other way because it all comes back to that first phrase. Are you a servant of Jesus Christ? Have you bowed the knee to Him? Is He your God and King? Then if that's true, we can move forward. And because it's true, we can recognize we're with each other. It's not about exaltations, titles, authorities. All that stuff's lost in a battlefield anyway. Don't you know that? If you've ever been in a place where the mud is flying and the bullets are whizzing, nobody, it's, it's, nobody's getting some special call from the general somewhere telling you what to do. In that position, you do what you do because you love the one next to you. And if you have unity in your unit, you perform well. And if you don't, you don't. And it's no different in the body of Christ. If we're going to perform well, we have to have unity. If we're going to have unity, it can't be about us individually. It's got to be about something else. Jesus Christ said that if he was lifted up, what would he do? He'd draw all men to himself. So if we could all acknowledge this is our one goal. Our one goal in life is to lift Jesus up. Then it's not about me and it's not about you and it's not about your program or your ministry or their program or their ministry or this thing or that thing. We're all trying to do one thing. Lift Jesus up. Then I'm able to kind of rise above all that selfish ambition, right? That's part of our nature. You know, it's not, it's not that one of us is any more evil than someone else. We all got it. We all struggle with it. It's all, it's all churning around within us. So we want to be able to express that the way that, that God wants us to be able to express that. We want to be able to acknowledge that these are are the way that we ought to flow as believers. So he begins with these two things we need, all of us, to be a servant, bow the knee before the Lord God, and to recognize and serve one another. And then he goes on to list out three things that we need for joy. Three essentials, if you will. Three things that if you lack this, you're going to be missing joy. And the first one, it's interesting, the first one is a lack of commitment to prayer. A lack of commitment to prayer will bring no joy. A lack of commitment to prayer. Probably one of the biggest areas of need within the church is to learn to pray. Look what he begins with in verse 3. 
I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now you know, you know that he's able to see the person next to him as a saint because he says, every time I think of you, I praise God for you. What a blessing to be able to see that as soon as you think of someone, as soon as you see somebody, the thought isn't, that guy cut me off, or the thought isn't, you know, that guy gave me a dirty look, or, oh, that guy's got lots of problems, or whatever. His first thought was, man, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I see this person, I think of this person, I wonder about this person, and immediately, I thank God for every remembrance. Every time I think of you. Now, admittedly, <clears throat> that's not natural. What's natural is to complain. Unless you're Kathy. Okay? So those of you who are Kathy, hallelujah, you can uh, not listen for a couple of minutes. We'll get back to you in a minute. But for the rest of us who are human... <clears throat> It's not natural, but it's important. And all, all I have to do, all I have to do is be willing to change my mind. And God will change my heart. I just got to change the way I, I'm used to thinking. When we think certain ways, you know that we actually create within our brain pathways. Pathways where the electrical charges of our brain just naturally snap that way. They've been going that way so much, it starts to create what you would call a rut. Right? And the rut wants to pull everything into it. So, when something happens, immediately we go to a rut. We talk about that in coaching as a muscle memory, right? We want your muscle not... You don't have to... If you have to think about it, it's too late. We just want you to react, Right? Well, that's how life, that's every habit in your life. That's how it's there. So if there's a habit you want to change, you got to cut a new neural pathway. You got to say, I'm going to change how I think about that. Which means I bring every thought captive. Now, I might not catch it before it comes. It might be after. Oh, I'm not going to think like that no more. Lord, forgive me, and immediately I want to move to thanking the Lord for every remembrance of them. You want to know how to change the kind of relationships you have with people around you? Just start doing that. Because your attitude will change. And the amazing thing is, when your attitude changes, it doesn't really matter what happens to them. Because your attitude is changed, the heart will follow it will follow the way we adjust how we think. Listen, Romans 1.8, <clears throat> Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. When did he do that? It's the first thing he wants to say in Romans. The first thing I want to say is, I thank God. Is that how we think about our brothers and sisters? It's supposed to be family. I'll never forget a pastor who was sharing and he, he had a ministry in the inner cities and they had a lot of guys from gangs that were coming into church and, and, uh, one guy, you know, was pretty deep into the gangs and he got saved and he comes and he gets baptized and everybody's kind of rejoicing about it and it's 
exciting and and it's cool to see what God's doing. And but little by little they stopped seeing him, and eventually he was gone. So the the pastor kind of reached out to him, "Hey, what happened?" So he got a hold of him. What happened? He says, "You know, it's it's probably my fault." He said, "But I had this idea that we were going to be family." And you know, you know, we have expectations. Sometimes our expectations are too high. Sometimes they're right. It's supposed to be family. The funny thing is, here's what we do. We all think that's somebody else's job. Being family. We all think that's 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 what Jackie's supposed to do, but that's not, not what I'm supposed to do. Or that's what Jason's supposed to do. That's not what I'm supposed to do. That's what Levi's supposed to do. But that's not... No. If we're family, is it only for two or three of us? Then we're all family, right? Paul, one of the ways to develop that family, that love, that care for one another, is to do what he's saying right here. First thing I do is thank God for every remembrance of you. Every time I think of you. Every time your name crosses my mind, I thank God for you. 1 Corinthians 1.4, Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Man, I'm so thankful that you're my brother. I'm so thankful that you're part of the family of God. This is his attitude, even toward churches he was struggling with, even toward people... Didn't make any difference. The reason he was able to be the apostle he was able to be was because he loved the people enough. And he loved the people enough because he changed the way he thought about them. And he said, every time I think about you, I'm going to thank God for you. Now, if you just think about that, how's that transform your attitude? Just that little thing. You don't think you become more joyful? Bet you do. Don't try it. It might change everything. One, one surefire thing. I always tell people this when, I, when, we, when we speak in counseling. I say, if you want something you've never had, you've got to be willing to do something you haven't done yet. If you're already doing something that's not doing it, maybe you should let that one go. Maybe we should let that one go. Hear what Paul says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. As he starts his epistle, what's he saying? Man, I thank God for you. For the things you're doing in the faith. For your labors of love, for your steadfastness. I'm thanking God for you. Second Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.3 He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. As is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing Where does it start? It starts with that attitude of thanksgiving. Well, where do we get that attitude of thanksgiving? When we start to learn to pray for each other. Every time you see them, every time you think of them, to thank God for them. 
Watch your joy expound. Watch it blow up in your life when you, instead of complaining about the people who let you down, you choose to give thanks to God that they're your brothers and sisters, that they're part of your family. You don't think that will bring about a sense of family? That's how it's supposed to be. That's how it is supposed to be. Expressing joy that they're growing, that they're, that they're walking with the Lord, <clears throat> excited about their perseverance, that they keep going. In Philippians 1, verse 4, he says, Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. What's he saying? Look, I am excited. I want to, every time I pray, I want to pray about what God's doing in your life. I want my prayer to be filled with joy for you because you're part of the family. Because you're part of our family. Now, there's time in family for scuffles. No? You guys don't have one of those families. You don't, you guys don't have, uh, moderate disagreements in your family? Your blood family? Yeah, come on. <clears throat> so don't worry, there'll be time for those. But we're talking about, we're talking about, we want to see, we want to be able to see something happen within the church that really affects our nation. If you want that to be real, then it's gotta be real on the, on the smallest level, on the beginning. When God established the first thing, very first thing, God established. This is going to be necessary for human beings to thrive. You know the first thing he made? Family. That's the first thing he made. A husband and a wife. He didn't start by establishing government. That comes later. He starts with family. Where's the devil been trying to tear us apart? Family. He tears apart families in the church. He tears apart families in the world. And he wants to tear apart church families. And it starts when we all start bickering about one another, or with one another, or over one another, or whatever. And we are still going to want to deal with all of those things. I'm not saying sweep anything under the carpet. What am I saying? Before you deal with anything, first, you pray for them every time you think of them. Every time they cross your mind. Then when Ephesians says, speak the truth in love, you know what you'll be able to do? It's incredible. You'll be able to speak the truth in love. Why? Because Romans chapter 5 says that the love of God is poured out in your hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to you. So the more we exercise the things that God's calling us to do, the more love He pours into our life, the more love we're able to express. So if we're having a hard time expressing love, guess where the problem is? Yeah, i got to go back. Have I bowed the knee to you, Lord? Am I trying to be Lord? Have I taken the seat of authority? I need to set that aside. Am I willing to serve you, God, and to serve your people and to give thanks for them every time I think about them? 
Every single thought. What am I giving thanks for? I'm giving thanks for what God will do and what God has done. Look what he says. He says, look, we want to, <clears throat> we want to see, we want to see God move. Verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you have confidence that God is able or are you pretty sure it requires you? Do you ever look at somebody and say, you know, that person's life's such a mess if they just listen to me. Man, we could get that straightened out. I know I've felt that way a few times. I've sat on the other side of my desk with people going, what? you won't listen. Why are we meeting? You don't listen? You don't listen? Here's what God says. He who has begun a good work will finish it. You believe that? <clears throat> now, he didn't say, who has begun a good work will make it really easy on you. And there will be no pain or suffering. There will be no tears. He doesn't say that. He says, if I've begun a good work, I will finish it. So we want to be able to see that in others. No? We want to be able to see that. We want to be able to thank God for our brothers. And then, not only that, but we want to recognize God's working in their life. Because God's working in mine. I'm not who I was once. Praise the Lord. And one day I'll be able to look back at this time and say, I'm glad I'm not who I was then. Because we're always progressing. No, we need to be. If we're not always progressing, we're moving in the wrong direction. We want to move toward Him. We want to understand. We want to recognize. Man, we want to be able to express joy for one another as we pray for one another and acknowledge that we have confidence that God is able. Right? He's able. He's able. And we want to trust that He will finish it. Because ultimately, guys, if we have no concern for others, then we don't have any joy. In verse 7 he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you where? In my heart. I hold you in my heart. Long time ago, we, we I don't know the last time we did one, but we, we have church directories. I got old ones go back to 2009. And every once in a while, I'll sit down and just go through it. And there's a bunch of names that aren't there anymore, or that aren't here anymore. They're, some have gone to be with our Lord and Savior. Some are just worshiping other places. That's okay. It's all one big happy family. But it doesn't stop me from going through it and thinking about them. Praying for them. I remember one time we, we, we wanted to start something. I still would love to see it get off the ground, but we wanted to start something called Warriors on the Wall, where we had someone praying every hour of every day of every week. Someone said, I'll take this hour. I'll watch the wall. I'll pray for an hour. That was the deal. How in the world can you pray for an hour? <laughs> Grab a directory. There's no shortage of names. And you can roll through it. And all of a sudden you'll start to remember things, right? That maybe you've heard or 
that you're concerned about or whatever. But before long, man, an hour, burning an hour is not hard. When you want to hold each other in your heart. We want to care. If I want to find what's wrong with people, I, that's not so hard. That's easy. Right? If you, you spend 10 minutes around me, you'll find everything wrong with me. I try to keep it all out where everybody can see it. That way, nobody's poking too deep. Look, we can always find what's wrong. What is it that Paul's challenging us to do? To meditate on and thank God for what's right. I remember when I was coaching, I had the unique ability in California, the football team in California, I could in two seconds find pretty much everything you did wrong. And we may have won the game and gained 10 yards on a particular play. But I could begin with one lineman and work my way across all the linemen for what they did wrong. What Did they step with the right foot? What side was their head on during the block? Uh, whatever. There's just a variety of things that were different rules that we did. And I could find every wrong thing. And if I spent practice pointing out every wrong thing, they'd go up on the, on the field to have practice, dejected, and ready to quit. So why do we do that in life? So you start to point out not what they did wrong, but what? They did right. What they did right. Transformed one marriage in particular that I know about. It transformed the marriage. And we sat down with this, this husband and wife and we said, you've got to think about one good thing for your husband. And she said, I can't think of nothing good. You've got to think of one good thing. Oh, I suppose he's here. Okay, you start encouraging him every day for being there. I'm not lying. Transformed marriage. Because learning that practice started to spread. All of a sudden you realize, yeah, maybe I'm being a little bit of a butthead. And he's, there's more than just he's here. You know, and we start to appreciate one another. And when we start to appreciate one another, we start to, we start to grow. Our love starts to grow. Things start to blossom. And next thing you know, your life is transformed, just like the Bible said. He said, don't let your mind, your life be, be conformed to the image of this world. Let it be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think. Stop. It's not okay. Let that stuff go. Believe that God is able, that He wants this from you, that God is able to work this through you so that we can see this happen. And then look how He prays. Verse 9, And it is my prayer. Now, okay, here we go. He's going to pray. He's already thanked Him for Him. Now what's He going to ask for? That their love abound more and more. Is that how you pray for one another? I pray that your love abound. Well, that seems like a strange thing. There's a lot of other things he could be praying for, but he wants 
He wants them to grow in love. How they love each other. How they express that love. And not just hooey-gooey love. It's love according to two things, right? That you would, that your love would abound more and more with what? Knowledge and discernment. Knowledge and discernment. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13, Paul writes this, Until we attain to the unity of the faith. This is a goal, right? We want to be unified together under the faith, under Jesus Christ, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We want to be mature to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's who we want to measure up to, right? We want to be like Jesus, so that we may no longer be children. We want to grow. We want to mature. We don't want to be little children. Tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, through human cunning or craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather, what do we want to do? Speak the truth in love. How do we do that? We grow up in every way into Him who is the head, which is Christ. From whom the whole body is joined together. And every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, listen, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. So we grow in love the more we grow in Christ. Do you get it? We grow in love. Not we grow in doctrine, not we grow in our ability to, to decipher the Greek and the Hebrew. Those things are all tools. How do we relate to one another? We grow in love when we grow in Christ. Grow in love when we grow in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, he says, May the Lord make you to increase and abound in love for one another. And for all. As we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. You want to be blameless? You want to walk in holiness before God and the Father? And the Lord Jesus Christ, if we want those things, then we have to hear him say that we may increase and abound in love for one another. We have to grow in love. How do I do that? Change your mind. Stop. I have to choose to stop being nitpicky. I have to choose to find a way to encourage the body. Edify, build up. How do we build up? In love. 1 John 3.18 Okay, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but how? Indeed. Great. Love you, brother. Love you too. Got the easy part over with. Now, do you love me enough? If I'm screwing up to tell me, do you love me enough if, if I'm struggling to stay up late and help me out? Do you love me enough to sacrifice some of your sleep, talk on the phone, sit down and have coffee? We get the easy part over with when we say the words. He says, let us not love in word, let us love in deed, in truth. We all know what this is. If you're married, trust me, ladies, you've said this to your husbands. Right? 
Hey, cool, that's a nice card. What, what if we tried that the other 364 days of the year? No? Not you guys? We want to love indeed in reality. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 7, <clears throat> says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God has made manifest among us. We see it, that God sent His only Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the substitute, the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love. We know the verses. 1 John four seventeen, By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. Do you believe that? This is how love is perfected. So we can have confidence in a day of judgment. We don't have to be afraid. Why? Because if you're in Christ, you're like Christ. You're in Christ. You're like Him. There's no fear in love. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear... Fear is a liar, man. That never said a true thing in his life. Every, every time fear says, stop, don't, go this way, go that way. You know anything about riding a motorcycle? Don't ever listen to that. Fear will tell you, slam on the brakes when you shouldn't slam on the brakes. Fear will tell you a lot of things, but they're not real. The Bible says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear is about punishment, torture. <clears throat> Whoever fears is not perfected in love. And we love, why? Because He loved us first. Where does our love come from? It comes from Him. It's an expression of Him through us. So we're to love, how? He says, I pray that your love would abound more and more in all knowledge. That means a complete understanding of what love is. You have a complete understanding of what love is? 1 Corinthians 13. Park on it. Live there. Read it every day. Read it every 10 minutes. Chew on it. Eat it up. Don't think you already know what it says. That's love. That's how love is. And that we would grow, abound more and more in all discernment. Now the word discernment is a moral statement. It's a moral statement. It means that we're supposed to understand the, the morality of it. In other words, we love what He loves. How do I know what to love, what not to love? I love what God loves. How do I know when it's time to hate something? I hate what God hates. I love what God loves. How do I know those things? i got to know Him. How do you know? I can go to a restaurant right now and I can order something for my wife that she'll love. Now, she may not think she'll love it, but I know my wife. I know what she loves. I know what she'd like. I can do it. Because I know her. You know God? Do you know what God loves? Not what you think He should love. Not what nobody made you Lord. Remember, we got to go back to the beginning. You're submitted, right? Slave. 
God's God. I'm the slave. I want to love what he loves. And I want to be able to express his love. And I love it. All you got to do is go look at, look at what Jesus did. Every time some up, somebody uppity up said, you know, what are you touching that guy for? What are you sitting next to that person for? Why are you around this guy? It was always about Jesus being there, trying to love people. Never one time in all of that did he ever make an excuse for their sin. Not one time. In fact, often he would say, hey, go and sin no more. Right? Hey, you want to let that go. Yeah, you said, well, you have no husband. You had five. And the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Jesus was not afraid to talk about sin. But because he loved them, it didn't hurt them. Like when we don't love them and we try to do the same thing. Do you have them in your heart? Your brother, your sister? I hear people all the time, you know, every once in a while people will call me and ask me, Jackie, I'm, I'm mad at so-and-so, I want to have a meeting with them. Oh, yay! <coughs> it sounds like a lot of fun. But my conversation always starts the same way. Have you talked to them? No. I want to do it with you. No. You don't get to do it with me. You don't get to drop a nuke. The first step is not to nuke somebody. There. What does the Bible say? That's right. Face to face. One on one. You go to your brother. And you go to him how? In love. Oh. And the only way you can do that, if you haven't been praying for him, if you haven't been thanking God for him, you're not ready to do that. Because you don't love him. You've got to change your mind. When you learn to love your brother, all of a sudden you'll start feeling this weird thing coming up. It's joy. What's that? It's that thing we don't feel because we don't do what God's word says to do. It's that thing we struggle in because we don't obey what God says to obey. We want to have love for one another in discernment. Love what he loves, hate what he hates, and know the difference. And then he says in verse 10, so that, for what purpose? Why do I want want your love to grow and you to know what love is and understand what love is about so that you may approve what is excellent? So you know what's good. You may approve what is excellent. So that you can be pure. So that you can be blameless for the day of Christ. Because when you stand on the day of Christ, I want, I want to be able to look at Jesus and say, I love people like you did. I want to be able to say, I, I was, I, I rightly reflected who you are. Who I think you should be. Now, my opinion is really who you are, because I know you. So I rightly reflect you. Remember the parable of the talents? Uh, or the minus, might, have been, might be the minus. And the guy says, I knew you were a hard man and austere, and you want this and you want that. And I think when I read that, you don't know him at all. That's how you think he is? You need to read the Bible. It's too late. It's judgment day. 
Man, I want to know Him. I want to be able to express Him. I want to be able to approve what is good. I want to say, yeah, this is good. Why? Because I know Jesus and I know this is what He says in His Word. This is good. I can hold fast to it. (coughs) And then verse 11, that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Fruit of righteousness that comes from Christ. The fruit of righteousness does not come from what you did. The fruit of righteousness comes from who you know. You know Him? Fruit of righteousness will flow. For what purpose? For me to elevate myself? I'm such a good person now. To the glory and praise of God. The source is Christ. The glory goes to Christ because He's transforming us. Because I'm willing to say I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to change my habits. I'm going, to, I'm going to change my cycle of negativity. And I'm, going to, and I'm going to do what God's word says to do. And so he gives us such a great place to start. I thank God for my every remembrance of you. I wonder what we'd look like next week. If we do that all week long. Want to find out? Let's see. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we lift this time to you, Lord, and we give you thanks. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word. To come to the the comprehension of this challenge that your word lays out for us, God. That we love you when we love each other. When we are able to express the reality of being a family of God with one another. We recognize it's, it's part of what we all do. For one another, to one another, with one another. And when we think of someone, you know, if the first name that popped in your head, I guarantee probably somebody you're mad at. So that's a good one to start with. I thank you, God. Every remembrance of them. Watch God change you. Watch God's light come into the darkness. Watch it push away the the shadow, the taint, the the tint in our hearts. Watch it push away all that stuff that we cling to so tightly. Watch it transform us. So we can love each other. According to knowledge. According to discernment, according to what God's word teaches, he shows, he tells us how to do it. Man, this is not one of those things I'm worried about. I don't know what it means. I know what this means. So God, help us do it. Because you don't call us just to love in word, to say, yes, amen, Lord, I affirm this to be true. But you call us, God, to make application. So God, help me change my mind. So I can watch you change my heart. So I can watch you transform relationships before my eyes. So I can watch you bind us together in the unity that you prayed for. In John 17, when you looked down the corridors of time and you saw us here. Calvary Chapel Buell. 
connect. We want to be family. We want to have fellowship. We want to care about one another. So God, I pray that you would do this work. As we study your word, transform us by the renewing of our minds so that we can prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. God, we praise you for all that you're doing and how you're moving, Lord. And we pray, God, that you give us strength for the victory ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.